Hello, and welcome to The Scriptures Are Real. This is the podcast where we talk about elements of the scriptures that have uh, made them become more real to us, because we believe that uh, the more real they are, the more power we can draw from them, and we need the Lord's help in our lives today, that's for sure. So I'm your host, Karim Yulstein, and I'm so happy to have with me a returning guest that by now you're fairly familiar with. This is Joshua Matson. Uh, who this uh, New Testament year, you may remember, if, if you didn't catch this, you'll want to go back and listen to it. Uh, it's the episode on Matthew 13 and parables uh, during the Old Testament. I think we did Malachi and also uh, which of the minor prophets, like maybe Habakkuk. I can't remember uh, a couple of the minor prophets, Nahum, I think, uh, also uh, some of them that were all thrown together. Anyway, Josh is uh, a seminary teacher right now. Um, has a, a PhD and kind of specializes in minor prophets and the Dead Sea Scrolls, but uh, is one of those people that uh, is just broadly uh, knowledgeable and skilled and trained in all sorts of stuff. And you'll see that uh, as we go through today. So welcome, Josh. Thanks, Carrie. It's great to be back. Yeah. So remind us uh, where you're from and uh, where you did your your studies and that kind of thing. Yeah, so I grew up in Chubbuck, Idaho, just a small suburb of Pocatello, uh, right on the I-15 corridor. I uh, grew up there, uh, served a mission in the Canada-Calgary mission. Uh, so super excited about getting another temple in that mission there in Lethbridge, as President Nelson announced uh, just this last uh, April conference. Um, and then did my undergraduate degree at BYU. I had a chance to study under you and uh, all the amazing teachers there uh, he's, then did he's master- still okay just to be clear even, <laughs> even after that it was great it was great and then uh did a master's degree at trinity western university in uh langley british columbia right next to the uh, vancouver british columbia temple actually um and then uh, did a phd at florida state university uh with an emphasis in uh, second temple judaism and early christianity and uh, while writing my dissertation on the Minor Prophets and the Dead Sea Scrolls, as you talked about, we uh, had the opportunity to live in Israel. We lived up in the north in Haifa and uh, were there during our first year of studying uh, Come Follow Me um, with the New Testament. So it's been fun to revisit a lot of these things and think back on some of the experiences that we had uh, while living in the Holy Land. Uh, and then since 2021, uh, I've been a full-time religious educator with seminaries and institutes and uh, currently teaching at Bingham High School in South Jordan. Uh, well, it's great stuff. So uh, thank you. And thank you for, I know you're busy. So thanks for spending some time with us. Uh, and I think you I, I, you kind of reminded me, I it's wonderful that we're now in our fifth year of uh, doing Come Follow Me. And it's my sense that uh, we have turned to the scriptures more in these last four years than ever before. It's been a fantastic thing, the way that we've just really, as a church, we're really jumping into the scriptures, and we hope that we help with that. Our goal is not to replace your scripture study. Please don't let us be that, but to uh, encourage you to go in and uh, and look at it again, uh, and just to be an aid as you really get into the scriptures. So that's, that's what we want, and we want to remind everyone of that. And maybe I'll just also... Uh, I remind everyone, we announced this uh, last time when uh, Andy Skinner was with us that uh, he's doing a lecture for us on the Latter-day Saints and the Dead Sea Scrolls. So we should maybe have Josh do that lecture sometime, too, uh, for a group called the Society for the Preservation of Ancient Religious Cultures, uh, which we abbreviate SPARC, but SPARC with a C. So if you want to check that out, you'd have to, to join, but it's cheap. Uh, it's SPARC with a C, so S-P-A-R-C, sparkproject.org, and uh, you could watch uh andy skinner on the 29th so join sometime before then so that you could uh, listen to that 
lecture with Andrew Skinner, who was on just the last two weeks. So, all right. You've convinced well, me, Carrie. I'll be on. I'll make sure. Good. Anytime to see Andy. It's yeah, a great uh, excuse. He, he is great, isn't he? He's, uh, I mean, he's not a, a fully a hidden gem, but I don't think people realize how good he really is. So, um, uh, partially because he got called into administrative stuff so much that he wasn't <laughs> able to, to, he still wrote a lot, but he wasn't able to write as much as he would have if he hadn't been writing herd on people like me. So anyway, um, great point. Well, I think it, it's, it's interesting though, Carrie, as you're saying that Andy was actually in Israel while we were there. Uh, he was there on yeah. assignment at the Jerusalem center. Uh, and so a lot of the, I, I owe a lot to, to Andy, um, because we, we did that and, and interesting, you bring him up. Uh, I've been working closely with Andy. We have the BYU new Testament commentary project. Um, Andy, um, has, is, is writing a volume for that, but has also contributed to the introductory volume that I have the privilege of editing. Uh, so we've been talking recently, but uh, it's interesting that you mentioned this idea of being in the scriptures more, uh, one project that I had the chance to take on while, while working on that edited volume was uh, studying the institutional study of the New Testament in the church. Uh, yeah. And so starting in the, the 1830s and 40s, all the way through, come follow me, um, I've studied how the church has institutionalized study of the New Testament. Uh, and, and I think your point is so right on is a lot of times we relied on commentaries or the thoughts of others. Um, but one of the beauties of come follow me is the, the real uh, focus on getting back into the text. And I think that's why it's been so successful is people are studying the text uh, and having some uh, understanding. I love this podcast for that reason, is I feel like this provides some context and understanding to then allow people to springboard into to the text themselves. Uh, very good. I, and And there's such a power in the actual scriptural text. I mean, there's power in all sorts of things, but not like in the scriptural text. It is unique for the kind of power that it can bring into our lives. And that's why we study it, right? So it's good. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Well, today we're going to jump into the Gospel of John, and we're going to study uh, from John chapter 20, but not all of chapter 20. We'll do that in another way another time. But uh, we're, we're going to focus on just a, a couple of things that will help us to understand the entire book of John, I think. Is that am I? correct in that people tell me that i should do a summary at the beginning and so i'm trying to remember to do that i don't remember that very often no uh, that's exactly right carrie and and one of the things that really um put me on the path for this is i had i had the opportunity to participate in the spiri symposium about four years ago um when we we were talking about um the savior and one of the the things that i contributed to both that published volume and uh the spiri symposium itself was a study of how John is trying to help people realize that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Uh, as we read John, um, more so than I think the Synoptic Gospels, John has a very clear idea of what is to be accomplished. Uh, and so uh, being able to understand this uh, helps be able uh, helps me at least to be able to see the text for the purpose in which it was written. Um, I know that some people have a tendency of saying, well, we can't jump into the mind of the ancient authors. We can't really understand what they were doing. Uh, but John was very, uh, the author of the gospel of John was very specific in making sure that we got into the mindset 
uh, of what this gospel is aimed to accomplish. Uh, And the more I dig into it, the more I find that this was a very meticulously written gospel, that there were specific purposes and outcomes that this author intended for us to be able to see. Um, And I'm excited to be able to talk about some of those today. Sounds good. Why don't you well, let's jump in? Why don't you take us where we should go? Yeah, so I, I think we need to start with what this actual statement of purpose is. Uh, and so if we go to uh, John chapter 20, um, we're looking at verses 30 and 31. Uh, this is when the purpose is is clearly stated for those who are, are reading the text. So verses 30 and 31 say, and many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written. So he's, he's in an essence saying here, the things that I've written have been written specifically. I know of a lot more things. We could have written more of this gospel. Uh, but the things that are written, that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. Uh, and so we get these two verses that just state the entire purpose of the gospel of John, which for me, I think is only paralleled by some of the statements that we get in the introductory material to the Book of Mormon. Uh, We don't usually see this in a written text from antiquity. And you might know better than me, Carrie, but uh, I feel like it is unique among ancient texts. Yeah, I I agree. I mean, there there are some that kind of say some of what they're about, but uh, not in this way, not not, uh, any ones that are this, uh, I'd say, literary and complicated uh, that are going about it this way it's it's a fantastic i i find it one of the more incredible pieces of literature period absolutely and and it's interesting that this is at the end um that after everything has been said it's like here's what i was trying to accomplish uh i still hear my master's thesis advisor saying don't keep the best part for last so i kind of wish that john may have let out with this but i think it gives us a good time in thinking of come follow me right now. This gives us a good opportunity to reflect back on what we've learned or even go back and review some of the things that we've learned in John uh, in knowing that, okay, so John specifically is writing so that we develop a belief uh, in Jesus Christ, who is the son of God. Uh, And so we read what's there and it's supposed to lead to belief. And then the last part of that is, that the belief then leads to um, being able to have life through his name. Uh, and we'll see that that idea of life that's going to come up in a number of scriptures that we'll talk about today. Sounds good. So, so um, oh yeah, go ahead. I was just going to no, say, let's, let's, let's keep going. So yeah. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, one of the great things about the gospel of John uh, is that um, there's some markers that help us to be able to see this pattern. Uh, we get this statement of purpose in John 20, 31. Um, But one of the words that's in there, uh, this word for belief, which in Greek is pisteo, uh, is that this word appears in the Gospel of John 98 times. Uh, So you get one word that's appearing 98 times. Let me just give you some statistics that will make this a little more um, impressive. Um, In the Gospel of Matthew, the word pisteo is only used 11 times. In Mark, it's used 14 times, and in Luke, it's only used nine times. Uh, So that's a total of 34 occurrences in the Synoptic Gospels. And so John triples that um, in in the Gospel itself. 
Um, now, and I, I, as I'm saying this, I think maybe I should have prefaced this a little bit better. Uh, we're not certain who the author of the Gospel of John is. Um, we have some modern revelation that refers to, to John as being the author. Um, like all the other Gospels, they're all anonymous in their writing. Um, uh, I just tend to make it easy by referencing John rather yeah. than constantly saying the author of the fourth gospel. But, uh, for those who are listening, that may have been a red flag that came up and said, well, wait, I thought we didn't know quite who, uh, you're right, but, uh, it's kind of an easy way to get us all on the same page. I don't know if yeah. you've got another disclaimer with that too. <laughs> no, I just say, uh, we don't know for sure, but I, I suspect it's, it's John and it's easiest to say John. So let's just roll with that. I love it. I love it. And so um, just to give you an idea in the New Testament, that's that's even more manifest because uh, in Acts of the Apostles, we'll get 37 references to this word belief or pisteo. Um, and then in the Pauline epistles, we'll get a few references, but never more um, than 20 that appear in the epistle to the Romans. Uh, and so the fact that this word is so used and so concentrated, one of my my favorite ways to kind of get an idea of, of how this works is how many times this word appears uh, every thousand words. Um, and so pisteo in the gospel of John appears every uh, 6.64 uh, per thousand words. Uh, so it's a thousand it's words, a, a couple pages. If we were typing on 11 and a half by eight, isn't that a couple pages? I think, I don't know. Like yeah, usually, half, I think. Yeah, usually the rule of thumb is about 400 to 450 words per page. Okay. Yeah. All right. And so, um, so if you're thinking that, you know, in a two, two and a half page area, they're going to use the same word uh, 6.6 .6 times. So, so uh, basically every third of a page you're encountering it. So, which is kind of basically every paragraph. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, and, and so John is specifically using this word to help draw us back to this statement of purpose. Um, so that belief word that appears in uh, verse 31 of John 20, um, it then helps us to go back into the text and say, okay, if John is trying to help us see this pattern, then let's look at other times when this word pisteo is being used throughout the Gospel of John. Um, and maybe see a pattern that helps us to be able to not only increase our belief in Jesus Christ uh, by seeing the example of others, uh, but ultimately that that belief leads to action, which helps us to be able to obtain eternal life. Sounds great. So uh, let's rewind. Uh, let's go all the way back to January uh, when we started Come Follow Me and uh, we jumped into to the Gospel of John. Um, and uh, let's let's look at how the writings of John uh, give us this this opportunity to be able to see this. And our, our and our first example is in John one seven. Uh, so when that we is go way back, back to, at the beginning, <laughs> it, literally right. Yeah. Uh, but if we go back, this logos hymn, um, we get a reference to John the Baptist in this verse. Um, and it's interesting what John the Baptist's mission is according to, um, to John here in this gospel. So verse seven, um, talking about John the Baptist, the same came for a witness. Now, I love the fact that this word um, in Greek also shares the, the root with martyr, right? That a witness is a martyr. And so uh, when we witness something, we know something is true. And so this witness, John the Baptist, came to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. 
so after we get this introduction to who the pre-mortal uh, Jesus Christ was, the first reference is to John, and then that John came to help people believe that Jesus was the Christ. Mm. Um, and so the very at the very outset of the gospel, we're getting this pointed idea of the individual who's doing these things is doing them for the purpose that ind- that all men, literally what it says there in the text, would believe. Right. Which is what we want, right? So that's good. Yeah. And so this belief for all um, then gets transformed in verse 12, where it says, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Uh, and so now we're we're getting some of the outcomes, some of the blessings that come by exercising belief uh, in the Savior, uh, is that he's going to give them power to become the sons of God, uh, which we know from modern revelation ties into this idea of Moses 139, that God's work and glory is to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of men. It's not just to live forever. It's not just to be resurrected, but it's to live the life that God lives. Uh, And that's what being called a son of God allows you to be able to have. Good. Good. And I mean, John chapter one has within it this idea that we are changed uh, as we leave the world behind and become more godly. And that uh, that belief and acceptance of Christ is the, you know, the, so the witness comes, then we have to accept and believe and act. And that's what changes us to have this different life. So I think that's perfectly stated. So I, I love that the, the, at the outset we get this. Uh, but then John says, it's not enough just to tell you that this is what's supposed to happen. Uh, let me give you some examples. So if we go to John chapter 2. Uh, we get this first miracle at the wedding of Cana uh, where Jesus turns water into wine. Uh, we won't talk about that miracle, but I want to pay specific attention to what we see in John chapter 2, verse 11. Uh, and so here, uh, John records, this beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested forth his glory. So he's manifesting his glory from this outset now, this last phrase, and his disciples believed on him. Uh, and it, it appears that this first miracle is placed where it is as a means of showing us what it took for the disciples to have that belief that we were just talking about. Is they saw this miracle, and it was because of the miracle that they then believed that Jesus Christ was who he said he was, uh, which empowered them to be able to go out and tell everyone else that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. It was their own witness um, of uh, who Jesus Christ was. That's great. And uh, because of this, I know many scholars will break the book of John down into different components, and they call, if I'm remembering correctly, chapter 2 through chapter 11, the book of miracles, uh, where this is the section of the gospel. There are other sections. You've got one, and you've got all the incredible teachings of the Last Supper, but uh, you've got that middle chunk that is about showing who Christ is through these these miracles. And I know you know this, and, and maybe you were going to bring it up. So if so, I apologize that I am. But um, John uses a different word for miracle than the other synoptic writers. Um, they use a word called dynamis, which is uh, not called. That is the word dynamis um, that uh, is 
you you recognize that word in English, right? It's it's a dynamic thing. It's a powerful thing. Um, but uh, John uses the the word uh, Simeon, uh, which is means a uh, uh, a sign. It's uh, something that is done for people to see and recognize. And that seems to be, for all the others, they're talking about the amazing works that Christ does. But John is saying these are the things he did so that we can recognize who he is. And uh, so that's part of that book of miracles thing. This is the reason we should believe, or one of the reasons. It's not the only reason he gives us to believe, but one of the reasons is the signs that he gives us. Yeah, and to tie it into some other things that we've read, remember when the John the Baptist disciples came to Jesus and saying, hey, John wants to make sure that he knows that you're the Messiah. What should we tell him? And it's interesting that the thing that the Savior tells them to go back and report to John is the works that he's doing, the miracles, the signs that he's doing. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, we get this tie-in that we even see that straddles into other gospel accounts. That doesn't come from the gospel of John. That comes from another one of the synoptics. But um, but John is building on what seems to have been a very clear theme. And John being an eyewitness to the Savior's ministry, uh, perhaps that was what the Savior was actually teaching, is he's teaching, look at these things that I'm doing. We know that his words to those disciples of John the Baptist explicitly say that's how people could know that he was the Messiah. And so John seems to be writing an entire gospel to help us to be able to see that from the perspective of the Savior. Yeah, yeah, perfect. Very good. Um, uh, so moving forward to the next one, this, uh, this, uh, emphasis of, of belief, uh, puzzled me for a while, uh, but it helped me to better understand, uh, what we're looking at. Uh, so staying in John chapter two, um, if we, we go through, um, we see, uh, again, a, a change in the way in which information is presented, uh, in the gospel of John as, as opposed to the synoptics. Um, starting in verse 18, we see this, then answered the Jews and said unto him, what sign showest thou, seeing thou doest these things? So now we've got people asking, wait a second, show me the sign so I can see this. Um, and Jesus answered and said unto them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Now we're used to talking about this in the last week of the Savior's ministry, uh, when he's ministering at the temple in Jerusalem and um, this is one of the things that's brought up uh, in the the court of the high priest is the blasphemy of the Savior, uh, is this very statement. But we get it in chapter 2 of John. Yeah. Um, and I think the reason for this is verse 22, because um, it says this, when therefore he was risen. So now the author is showing that we're not writing the gospel in real time. We're not writing these things as they're happening, we're reflecting on them from a later time period. Um, some scholars can, have dated the Gospel of John as late as the 90s uh, AD, uh, so 60 years after the events. Uh, and so reflecting back, so and therefore when he was risen, so we're already going to give away what's going to happen at the end of the Gospel, Jesus was going to raise from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this unto them, and they believed the Scripture and the word which Jesus had said. Um, and so we get this really interesting statement that the disciples are getting another witness that's going to help their belief. Uh, and, and I love this, that it's in the same chapter as, as the miracle at Cana, because it shows that 
we can't just live on one spiritual experience throughout our lives. Uh, the disciples probably remembered the wedding feast and turning water to wine, but that wasn't enough to perpetuate them throughout their entire ministries. They had to continue to have spiritual experiences. Um, as President Harold believes that um, testimonies have a short shelf life. Uh, they have to constantly be fed. Uh, and so one thing I tell my students regularly is it's vital that you have a spiritual experience every day, particularly one that builds your belief in the Savior, Jesus Christ, because you need those constant experiences to help you to be able to come closer to him. And that is so important. I mean, I think that's part of what President Nelson is talking about when he says, take charge of your testimony, right? Um, if you have, and and so often uh, spiritual belief is compared to a plant, right? Uh, and if you have a plant, you have to take, take charge of keeping that plant alive. But, you know, if you have a cactus and you put it outside, maybe it's going to survive on its own fine. But, but most plants, let's say you have a plant inside. If you are not taking care of that plant regularly, if you haven't taken charge of taking care of it, it's going to die. That's just how it works. And and we need to keep that same thing in mind with our testimonies, to take charge of our testimony the way President Nelson has said, and feed it every day, as you said. Yeah. And, and so, again, we're getting that belief again. Um, that's being emphasized. And even the disciples had to do that. Um, and I don't think that we're outstepping our bounds when we hear President Nelson telling us to take charge of our testimonies, that even the senior leadership of the church has a responsibility to constantly nourish their testimony and their witness of the Savior. No one is exempt from being able to have that. If these disciples who walked with Jesus needed to constantly build on their belief, uh, how much more do we uh, need to continue to build on that belief in our lives? Uh, amen. So um, I, I, I love this, and, and we're not going to go through all 98 examples of, of this word, uh, but I think there's a couple of things that are instructive that we can see um, in a couple of other verses. And then I'd like to maybe look at maybe a story or two, and then uh, we can go from there. But in John chapter 5, verse 24, um, there's this great statement that comes um, in the events that the Savior is uh, healing an invalid on the Sabbath. He's explaining kind of that uh, why um, men must honor the son. Um, but he says this in verse 24, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believe on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. So in the Savior's mini discourse that we get here in John chapter 5, he gives us this idea that belief moves someone beyond just what um, I'd say is just faith or just believing as a one-time event. So he gives us this pattern. So first we have to hear the word. We have to see the experience. We have to read the scriptures. We have to see what the Savior does. Then we believe. And then it's because of that belief that we're able to receive eternal life. Um, and so John 5, 24 is kind of a linchpin to this process that John is trying to explain to us um, that we we can't believe without knowing, um, but that belief has to lead us unto eternal life, which if we're using the words of President Nelson, this is what walking the covenant path is, is as we learn, as we believe, we want to create bonds. Uh, we want to create relationships with the father and the son. Um, I think of Elder Renlin's discussion 
uh, in the April 2023 General Conference, where he talked about those covenants are ultimately what bind us to God that lead us to eternal life. Um, and so John isn't using covenant language per se, but that um, that idea that our belief leads to being close with the Father and the Son, doing what they tell us to do, making covenants, walking the covenant path, that's how we get to eternal life. But we can't get there until we hear it and we believe on the Son. Very good. And I would suggest he has uh, a very subtle covenant language in that, and we read it there in chapter one, at least one of the verses, there are several verses that talk about um, uh, being born again or having a new life. And those are regularly, if, if you search out the scriptures, that's regularly tied up with the idea of covenant. And so when we read something like this, where he says, shall not, uh, is passed from death unto life, that's an oblique reference to it, I would say, uh, because he's already established this idea. Well, if you're going to get a new life, it's, it's through this uh, covenant. And I'd also say that uh, my audience is probably tired of me talking about this theme in the book of John, uh, but you can see it. And I think we may have talked about it even in chapter when we did chapter five, but uh, this notion that it's not enough to believe on Christ. You see it right there, that Christ's job is to get us to believe on him that sent him on the father. Right. So uh, speaking of patterns, the, the pattern is that Christ sends us. We bring people to Christ and Christ brings them to the father. And so these signs are not and and he'll say this in a number of places there are the works of him that sent me i only do the works uh, that the father has sent me to do and so on uh, and that's that uh uh what's well, a different word but we, we can get into that later but uh but the idea is that these signs are signs to believe on christ so that he can bring us to the father we will believe in the father and be able to be with the father uh and we get all of that tied up so neatly in john chapter 17 but uh, but that's this is one of the places where it's made really clear that the signs are to believe not they are certainly to believe in Christ, but that's not the end step. Uh, the end step is to believe in God and be with him living, as you said earlier, the kind of life that he has. Yeah, so good, Gary. And such a great reference um, to, to seeing how the Savior always is pointing towards the father uh, going all the way back to those premortal councils. Yeah. where the glory and the honor is to the father, not for himself. Yeah. Um, and, and it's that uh, attitude I, that makes him the beloved son. And so there's something for us to emulate there, isn't there? Yeah. And, and I think we can see some of that if we now kind of go back, having talked about that um, to uh, John chapter four, uh, where Jesus is going to teach the Samaritan woman. Um, it's fascinating. And, and I know you've, you've talked through this story and, and the events that, that are there. Um, but just as a quick refresher, Jesus, um, you know, encounters a woman at the well in Samaria, uh, talks with her. Um, I won't go on a lengthy diatribe about this, but one of the interesting things that I found when I was writing that Sperry Symposium article, uh, back in 2018 is that she seemed to be giving us insights into the Samaritan expectations of the Messiah. Mm. Um, remember, there's a break off here between the main line of, of Jews and the Samaritans, but the Samaritans had an expectation for a Messiah. Um, and even though they were different than the Jewish expectations, I love how the Savior works with her from the knowledge she already had. Yeah, She's giving statements about a Messiah the Savior even recognizes where there's a disconnect, but ultimately brings her to believe that he's the Messiah. Um, 
And I, I love the words that come in John chapter four, verse 39. So after she comes to her realization that Jesus Christ is the Messiah because of what he's able to tell her, it says this, and many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman. And so John almost is giving this story as a microcosm of what he's trying to do with his entire gospel. Here's what I have to say. And I want you to believe in the Savior because of what I'm saying. And look at how it worked with the Samaritans. This woman came to an understanding and a belief of the Savior. And then she went and shared that with others. And they believed. Um, and uh, and I think that that idea that we help people come closer to the Savior by sharing our belief and our understanding and our experiences of coming to know him by studying his words and having personal experiences with him. Well, that's good. So let, let me kind of maybe summarize if I understand what you're saying, that uh, in this story, uh, the Samaritan woman plays the role that John in some ways is playing, or that we could say any uh, of the testimonies, those who, who uh, tell us and teach us about Christ uh, play. She has learned about Christ and believed because of her experience. Then she goes and gets other people to believe. And then they, will have to come to Christ and take that next step themselves to get uh, the, the next step of belief, right? Uh, they can't just keep relying on her belief, but that is their first step is the belief uh, on what was taught them, or at least the curiosity enough to come to Christ on what was taught them by someone who had learned from Christ, which is what John is doing. So part of my testimony is certainly based off of the things I've read in the Gospels and in Third Nephi uh, that that have taught me about Christ, that those witnesses are part of how I learned to Christ. But then I've come to Christ and had the Spirit testify to me uh, and had experiences with Him in and of myself, not experiences like John had or like Nephi had, but uh, still experiences. Uh, and and so, am I catching the gist correctly of what you're saying there? Absolutely, uh, and I think that that's one reason why John in John 20, 30, and 31 says, I'm not telling you everything that happened. Uh, I'm not going to record every event because I've specifically selected the events that I have that fit the thesis of what I'm experiencing. Right. Um, and he'll kind I of mean, hit that in the very last verse of his gospel as well. So ex Exactly. And that's exactly where I was going. So I like that we're on the same wavelength there, right? Where he says, there are also many other things which Jesus did in which if they should be written, everyone, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Yeah. But, but what's so great about that for me, Carrie, is the fact that this is our experiences. Um, this is the experiences that individuals have. And it's almost um, this idea that the growth of the knowledge of Jesus Christ is exponential that as we share our experiences with him, others believe, and they're coming to the Savior, and the Savior is going to do things in their life. That's very um, good. And, and so the whole purpose of a gospel of the good news is that everyone is welcome to come and know for themselves that Jesus is the Christ. I love the Samaritan woman example because um, in so many ways in the culture in the day, uh, Samaritans and Jews didn't get along. The Samaritan woman even says that. How can you, a Jew, talk to me? Um, and so even those who are on the margins of society are welcome to come and have personal experiences with the Savior. Oh, very um, good. And then not just that, but I, I, we read verse um, in in John 4, we, we read verse 39. But then I love verse 41. And many more believed because of his own word. 
Um, and, and so, uh, verse 42 and said unto the woman, now we believe not because of thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves and know that this is indeed the Christ, the savior of the world. Um, it will never be enough. We have to, we, we have to, as you said earlier from president Nelson, we have to take charge of our own testimony. We have to come and know the savior ourselves. Um, but we get started by hearing the words of others. Yeah, it's it's beautiful. Uh, in fact, uh, just uh, yesterday we had young women's camp in my ward, and we got back and had some of the young women speak. and And one of them talked about how you know I grew up in a really religious household and uh, uh, believed, but I'm now at the point where I just I have to know for myself. I can't stand on that anymore. I, I have to know for myself, and and uh, I just want to wanted to jump up and shout hooray that she's she's taking that step right uh because we all have to yeah and and i think this leads us really well into what we can start to to look at as some concluding thoughts um is um coming to the scripture that is so well known john three sixteen, right for god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him so there's our our statement again should not perish, but have everlasting life. Uh, we see that at football games and, and major events all over the world. Uh, we recite it um, as a seminary teacher. I teach that verse to my students as one of the doctrinal mastery verses. Uh, and it's but on one the verse, cups at, uh, at In-N-Out. So don't forget at that. In-N-Out. And that's what yeah. we should we should emphasize. Uh, but it's uh, for me, it's even more telling if we go to John 3, 36, So if we move forward a few more verses, John actually expands that statement by saying, he that believeth on the son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Um, And, and so there's that stark warning. um, And I tie this in uh, to the, the plan of salvation and, and what really delineates those between the kingdoms of glory um, is not necessarily just works. There's, an understanding of this belief in the savior. Um, the difference between those in the celestial kingdom and the terrestrial kingdom are those who believed on Jesus Christ. Uh, those who are in the celestial kingdom reject the savior as the Messiah, uh, and reject his atoning sacrifice. Um, and so, um, that's the delineation between those two kingdoms. Uh, and then the delineation between the terrestrial and the celestial kingdom is valiancy in our testimony. Um, and, and seeing that this is Christ centered, uh, in the plan of salvation has really helped me better understand that I don't earn my way to the celestial kingdom. Uh, I am reliant completely upon the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Uh, that's so powerful. And, and, uh, the, that, uh, kind of, as you said, the differences between the different kingdoms there, uh, it is actually seems very Johannine, right? Uh, the, the it seems like it's drawing on the same ideas that we've just been reading about. Belief is what moves you into life. Uh, disbelief is what moves you away from life. And that's not a coincidence because it is as they're studying the Gospel of John that they, you know, while well, studying it, translating it as Joseph is doing his his translation of the Bible, that they receive section 76, right? They, they, there are direct ties between 76 and the Gospel of John as they were reading those themes God said, I've got more to tell you about this. And so it's, uh, I, I love that emphasis. Certainly we need to be valiant in our testimony, but uh, it really, that should be a natural outgrowth of the faith and love that 
we experience that is talked about in the Gospel of John. I love it. Uh, and Carrie, I know we've we've kind of carried on maybe beyond, but uh, can we do one more? Yeah, is that, yeah. No, we is get that all right? Um, yeah. Uh, one of the, the things that I, I think of, and I've thought a lot about this, um, is we're leaving the Gospels. Uh, as we get to this point and come yeah. follow me in our study, we're now leaving the Gospels, and we've, we've been so entrenched in just studying the life of the Savior, uh, coming to better understand and know who He is. Um, that I know in the past, I've, I've sometimes felt a little bit of a disconnect when I transition into the Acts of the Apostles and the Epistles, because I go, I, I want to stay with the Savior. I want more. I want those books that, um, that uh, are emphasized at the end of, of the Gospel of John. Uh, but there's an interesting statement that the Savior makes at the end of John chapter 5. Um, so again, he's giving this discourse, um, but um, he, he, he discusses this. So starting in verse um, 43, um, he says this, I am come in my father's name and ye receive me not. If another shall come in his own name, him will ye receive. How can ye believe which receive honor one to an, of another and seek not the honor that cometh from God only? Do not think that I will accuse you of the father. There is one that accuseth you, even Moses, in whom you trust, which is interesting because he's, he's saying, no, it's your own law that's going to accuse you. It's I don't have to do anything. But why is that the case? Uh, verse 46, for he had ye believed or for had ye believed Moses, ye would have believed me for he wrote of me. But if ye believe not his writings, how shall you believe on my words? Um, and I think that this is a, an appropriate place to kind of see how all scripture testifies of Christ. Yes. Um, and so even though we're going into the Acts and we'll move forward into the epistles, and we might get caught up on ecclesiology or, um, you know, points of doctrine that are being discussed, or how are these individual groups um, trying to work through their own problems uh, in their their context? Uh, it's important to see where are these other books pointing towards Christ. Um, yes. We sometimes get caught up um, in legal language or legal text, trying to say, "Oh, look, this is exactly what this means," or "This is how it is." Um, that's what the Savior is warning about in at the end of chapter 5 in John, is warning about being too caught up in just looking at the scriptures for the scripture's sake and not seeing that they point and testify of Jesus Christ. Uh, and so maybe that's a, a personal soapbox that I want to get on is we're making this transition is we still need to be looking for the Savior in all of these texts that we'll be reading through the rest of the year. Uh, amen. Amen. In fact, maybe I'll I'll just relate a, a personal story, and I, I want to be careful about this because the, the person in the story is someone that is wonderful and, and I love and respect, and uh, most people would actually know who it was. But uh, I was um, on a tour in Israel one time, and uh, we were hitting both New and, and Old Testament sites, and uh, that's just what's going to happen if you're with me. And uh, <laughs> a, a person said, well, let's not do that stuff, I, uh, this Old Testament stuff. I want to do more uh, Jesus stuff. And there's a part of me that's like, wait a minute you know, Jehovah is Jesus, right? And and so we talked about that. But I think that's the thing we have to remember. I mean, Jehovah is Jesus. When we're studying the Old Testament, it's Jesus. When we're studying Acts, who is it that's talking to Paul? Who is it that is directing Paul and Barnabas when they go somewhere? Who is it that's having uh, Peter see this vision and then bring the gospel to Cornelius and so on? It's Jesus, right? Who are they talking about in Revelation? Who are they talking about in First John or Peter? It's Jesus. 
Uh, same thing in the Book of Mormon, same thing in the Doctrine and Covenants. And so uh, I get it, though. I, I fully get it. It's hard to leave these stories because it's wonderful to hear uh, and see Jesus interacting with mortals in a normal setting like, well, not completely normal, but uh, but, you know, a setting that's that's like what we're used to. There is something wonderful about that. And we should rejoice that we've had that opportunity. But let's keep finding Jesus everywhere we go. Yeah, and, and I think that that's really what the whole purpose of Scripture is. Um, John's very explicit about that in, in his gospel. Um, but ultimately, I think if you were to pull all the gospel writers, maybe we can do this as some kind of study when we get to the next life. Uh, we can pull them all and say, how many of you agree that this was the purpose behind what you wrote? And I'm pretty sure our numbers would be pretty high. That yeah. that was the purpose. Uh, that was the drive. Um, and for me, that helps me to really realize why I study my scriptures in the morning. Uh, I study my scriptures every morning so that I can come to know the Savior better. I study the scriptures so that I can know how I can best emulate him and share him with the world because he does mean so much to me. And because of the peace and the joy that I get from being close to the Savior. Yeah. So fantastic. Uh, and maybe uh, that I actually should just let us end on that because it was a fantastic ending, but uh, I can't help myself. Is it? Uh, let's just go back to chapter 20 if it's all right. Uh, Absolutely. And, and maybe I just want to end on a, a separate point that's not as good as the point you just made, but um, and won't be as good an ending as, as the ending you just had. But what are you going to do with it? No me? way. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, which earlier I, I was about to say when you said we we're in the safe wavelength, I, I thought, oh, that makes me nervous for Josh. But anyway, um, <laughs> So the verses just before this are when the Savior is appearing to his apostles and they are learning that he is resurrected. All right. So we've get, got up through the end of verse 25 that they, uh, they've seen and Thomas isn't going to believe until he sees. Right. So here's this whole belief theme again that we get yep. in the, the Gospel of John. And then verse 26, after eight days, uh, they're within and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus. The doors being shut and stood in their midst and said, Peace be unto you. And he said to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger and behold my hands and reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side and be not faithless, but believing. So that theme again. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. And then we get the verses that we focused on and many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, that believing you might have life through his name. And so I find it interesting because it seems to me John is saying, well, this is a pretty good, pretty big and important thing. I need to let you know that he was resurrected and that people saw him, felt him and could bear witness that he's resurrected. But that is just one of the many things that bear witness of him. And I want you to know that I've, I've there are tons, it, like we were talking about earlier when you read the last verse in, in John 21, uh, it kind of reminds me of Mormon who just keeps saying, I just want you to know, I'm just giving you a hundredth part, right? You get this from gospel writers all the time. Like there is so much more, but I'm just going to give you what I can. John is telling us there's a ton, but I've given you enough. Resurrection, as important as it is, and I want to bear witness of the resurrection, but as important as it is, it is one of the many things that should lead us to belief in Christ. Certainly it is one, and we shouldn't forget that, and, and I'm so grateful for the resurrection. I don't want to minimize that, but John is telling us there are, I've, I've shown you lots of reasons to believe in Christ. And then, as you've said already, 
uh, we should not leave it uh, at, at that, but come to Christ and have our own experiences with him. That is so crucial. So thank you, Josh. Anything else yeah. you'd like to add? Well, I just love that you bring up the experience with Thomas, because I think, again, we contextualize this is we look at the Savior giving this direction specifically to Thomas. Uh, blessed art thou because thou hast seen and believed. More blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. Um, I wonder if John is getting that and saying, okay, I need to make sure that I can give people as much information as possible that will help them believe. Yeah, um, yeah because they don't get to see them the way we have, so I got to help them out. Yeah, and 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 how important um, one of my uh, one of my uh, maybe gospel hobby horses. I know we're not supposed to have them, <laughs> um, but uh, you you can see behind me these are my personal journals over the years. Um, and one of the things that I've really tried to emphasize, uh, especially recently, is writing for my children and and my future generations um, my own witness of the Savior. Um, not because I want that to be beholding or to be, um, you know, binding to them, but that they know, um, that anyone who reads my history or my experiences will know that I believe that I believe in Jesus Christ, that I know, um, that he lives, that he is my, my savior and redeemer. Um, and I think that, that, that one thing John got is I need to make sure that I record what I have experienced. Um, and we need to add to those records. The earth might not be able to hold them, uh, but we can add those records. And even if we haven't seen the Savior, um, we can help uh, others to believe because we're just as blessed um, if we haven't seen the Savior yet believe in him. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much, Josh, and we hope this has been helpful for everyone. Just a great recap as we leave uh, all of the Gospels and, and especially the Gospel of John behind to kind of uh, focus on what they have been trying to do for us anyway and where we can go from here. So that's a, a wonderful ending to this, and uh, I'm just grateful that you took us there. So thank you, Josh, and we hope that uh, our audiences enjoyed this and that you'll share it with others. and. Uh, do whatever it uh, is that uh, you do that uh, helps bless the lives of others uh, by studying the New Testament. Uh, you can help them study and gain more from the New Testament. So have a, a wonderful day. <laughs>